Welcome to the Catholic Leaders Podcast, where we talk with inspirational leaders and explore how faith informs leadership. I'm Carrie Robinson. And I'm Kim Smolik. We're executive partners at Leadership Roundtable, a ministry of hope for the church, founded to promote best practices in leadership and management. We're so excited to have you join us today. So click the subscribe button and let's get started. Our conversation with Sister Terry Maya was among my favorite experiences over this past year. When you stop to think about it, the role of women religious in the life of the church in this country and all over the globe is just astonishing. What would our church be like without the history of women religious? And the fact that Sister Terry Maya was the president of LCWR, such an important network of women religious in the United States of America. And she was president at a time of great importance in the life of the church. She just has so much wisdom to offer us about life and leadership, vocation and accompaniment. What a gift. I agree, Carrie. I think that this was, for me as well, one of the highlights of this year. I really appreciated the wisdom that she offered and the humility that she offered in the conversation. While it's true that she's led institutions and she's led LCWR, she also said to us that she is in a lifelong discernment call, um, which is a stance of humility. And I think that really speaks to the way that sisters approach their vocation and their service to the church. There is strength, there is service, and there is accompaniment that they offer us through their example. I know that I've personally been so supported in my own vocational journey, specifically by sisters in the church, a whole variety of different uh, orders and congregations. When I was at a real point of inflection in my faith. It was a group of sisters that welcomed me in to ponder the deep faith questions, which allowed me to get more clarity on my place in the Catholic Church and my vocational path. And much of our conversation with Sister Terry really speak to that accompaniment that sisters offer. Agreed. Just beautiful. She also referenced one of my favorite spiritual writers and brought forward some of his wisdom, Father Ron Rollheiser. So I think our listeners have a lot to look forward to. It also strikes me how attentive to young adults Sister Terry is, both young women and young men. Remember, she talked about their dreams, that we have to be nurturers of the dreams of young adults. God is dreaming in them, she said. That's just so beautiful. 
It is. And Carrie, we have recently had the experience of bringing together a group of young adults and our young adult advisory committee in preparation for our next Catholic Partnership Summit in February of 2024. And I don't know about you, but for me, that monthly meeting that we have with 12 extraordinary young adults that have such a vision for the church that ask powerful questions of themselves and each other about how they're living out their faith and how they can do that working alongside and inside the church to me is often a highlight of the work that we're doing together. I couldn't agree more, Kim. I hope that there are young adults tuning in to this particular episode. And if not, those who are listening, please share it with young adults. You will be so inspired when you hear the wisdom that Sister Terry and the care that Sister Terry exudes for young adults. Carrie, that's a perfect segue for us to move into our conversation with Sister Terry. Welcome back to the Catholic Leaders Podcast. Today, we are thrilled to welcome our friend and Leadership Roundtable board member, Sister Teresa Maya. Sister Terry is a member of the Congregation of the Sisters of Charity of the Incarnate Word and is joining us from San Antonio, Texas. Her education ministry has spanned several decades. She has served as teacher, professor of history, and administrator. She is passionate about pastoral formation, particularly of Hispanic Latino leaders in the church in the United States. Sister Terry got her BA at Yale University, her MA at the Graduate Theological Union at Berkeley, and her PhD from El Colegio de México. She has served in leadership of her religious congregation and as president of the Leadership Conference of Women Religious, LCWR, from 2016 to 2019. She currently accompanies other religious congregations as facilitator and consultant. Welcome, Sister Terry. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for the invitation and thank you for this initiative. I think it's very, very important to be doing it during the synodal time. We do too. And we're so grateful for everyone who has joined us and especially you today in the conversation we get to have. Sister Terry, you were a uh, speaker at our 2022 Catholic Partnership Summit. And the people there got to learn a little bit about how you uh, became a religious sister, your journey to becoming a sister, and that you were challenged in your faith regularly by a friend. Uh, what you shared of that experience and the questions that you considered at that time were really powerful for people to hear about. We'd love it if you would share a little bit about your journey to religious life and tell us about the factors or the people or experiences that most influenced and supported your decision. Well, you know, I think um, I'm on sabbatical right now, and it's a privileged time to look back and, and have time to really ponder about, like, how, how did I get to where I am today? And what I realize is that vocation is a lifelong journey, and it's a, it's a process that 
requires a witness of others, asking meaningful questions, being able to stay in the questions sometimes. It's a quest. You know, it's a quest for God for an ever deepening spiritual life. It's a accompaniment. You always, I think religious life has a community element to it. It's not a life you do by, you know, alone or religious life has this uh, community component. You're always accompanied, even when you don't want to be accompanied or even when you think you should be accompanied by somebody else. But community is a critical part of it. So there's always been people there. Um, you know, I think also vocation is a lifelong discernment of call. I think, you know, for example, here I am, a middle-aged woman on sabbatical, and I'm still asking myself, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I think often of what uh, Oblate uh, Ron Rollheiser says, that you have to learn how to give your life away, and eventually you'll learn how to give your death away. I, I see it with my older sisters. As far as people in my life that influence my, my religious life, my vocation, I have to start with my abuela, my abuela, my grandmother. And it wasn't something she said. It's how she did it. It's her love of God and the church. It's growing up watching her. Mm -hmm. um, I still remember uh, she prayed the rosary every afternoon. And she liked to find a little spot in the house that had some sun and she would sit there. And my brother, uh, sister and I would like to watch her pray. Mm. She knew we were watching, so she didn't call us. But we just to watch because there was something that happened to her when she was praying the rosary. And, and that, that peace that came upon her in our house was something that just created a deep longing in me. And, um, and then, of course, you know, she was your typical grandmother. Uh, I think she loved the church probably to a fault. Um, and, you know, did you go to church on Sunday? And have, you know, have you gone to confession or have you done this? But, but she was always modeling kind of a, a, a life filled with faith in it. You know, the images in the house, however, some I didn't like, but you know, <laughs> they were all there. And um, so grandma was very important. Abuela, I think... Um, taught me something about about faith and family faith and life in normal life like you know just everyday life and also of course participating in in our church community um she she lived near where we were we were in this one of these new neighborhoods she helped build the church literally like help pay for it and and promote it and went out and asked for money for it so i think grandma was always a key a key part but then of course Another influence for me were just all what I would call the welcoming spaces of our church, mm. whether it was Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose, a shout out to them. I love them dearly. I went to their schools or whether it was um, St. Thomas Morehouse at Yale, the Catholic chaplaincy at Yale. They were spaces that were welcoming that were welcoming of me as a person, as a Latina, as a Mexican, that were welcoming of my questions, that accompanied, that nurtured my faith, and also my belonging to a community. So I think all of that influences um, who you are. You know, I think of, of my Jesuit friends and, and professors and colleagues now at the Jesuit School of Theology at Berkeley, and, and all those places that along the journey were so critical to my to my call and to my deepening of my spiritual life. 
So it's a, it's a lifelong thing. And, and now I know I will continue to find new places and spaces and people, but I also know that I have a responsibility to accompany others. You are speaking to my heart, Sister Terry, um, both by calling to mind grandmothers and the important role that they play in the lives of young adults in particular, and also your reference to St. Thomas More at Yale and how, how meaningful that was. Speaking of young adults, it seems that women today have even more choices and opportunities than they did perhaps when you entered religious life. What are some opportunities that young adults and particularly young women have today to serve the church and live out their faith? And, and in what ways are women religious accompanying young people today? Well, you know, I, um, I spent the last week, about a week traveling the Sierra between Puebla and Veracruz. And that is a beautiful, absolutely beautiful part of Mexico, but it's also a very impoverished part of Mexico. There's the Nahuatl community and First Nations people. And as I'm traveling through it, I'm running into, you know, uh, people that run a coffee cooperative, uh, people that run a women's um, organization for health, uh, lawyers that have been uh, committed to defending the land from mining exploitation, and architects that are trying to design uh, eco-friendly construction that takes into account the the kind of millennial knowledge of the of the native communities, and they're all young. And as I'm going through this visit, I realized we have young people out there that are trying to change the world and make it a better place. Some of them informed by their faith, some of them still searching for a faith to hold on to. And so I think today, women religious, religious, the church, the world has an obligation to kindle, support, encourage, accompany, mentor, finance these young people. And that I think will create the energy for really building up the reign of God, building up of human dignity, of bringing the margins to the center as Pope Francis says. So I think um, our role as women religious specifically and as North American women religious, because there are fewer of us and we're getting older. But we were always and have always been and will always be passionate about the building up of society, that apostolic dimension of our lives, that gospel dimension. So I think today our role is to partner with these young people. Our role is to mentor them and encourage them. And it's not easy because, first of all, I think women religious are doers. We like to do it. We like to be the ones that are at the border helping with migrants, or we like to be the ones with people that don't have a house. I mean, there's all kinds of, of situations where we've been the ones at the margins, but we can't. We can't physically, we can't numerically, but we have influence, we have networks, we have relationships, we have friends, we have benefactors, there's generosity around us. So we can bring that and cloak and mantle around those young men and women, those young people in organizations that are trying to make a difference. And I think connecting, I think supporting, so it's a shift for us. It also requires that we learn to trust, and it's not easy. 
It's not easy because even locally, you know, we can say, you know, well, you know, there's all these questions and there's these things and we've tried this and tried that. So we also need a conversion in order mm -hmm. to accompany our young people, even young women in religious life or, you know, they come with all these dreams. And so we can't be cultures of dreams. We have to be nurturers of dreams. God is dreaming in them. So I think we absolutely need to be about a preferential option for them. Sister Terry, you have spoken so eloquently about partnering, about creating welcoming spaces, about bringing the margins to the center. And I love hearing about this. I'm challenged by it. It makes me think about how can I contribute to that more. Um, and you've been a part of LCWR, um, and it plays such an important role in our church and in support of religious, uh, women's religious who are incredible contributors, as you just outlined, to, to these ideas and to these efforts. And I will say, at least in my own life, I will give my own shout out to the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet in St. Paul, Minnesota, who created incredible welcoming space for me at a time when I wanted to leave the Catholic Church, um, and they welcomed me uh, so beautifully. Can you talk a little bit about the role women religious are playing in the church today? And especially as we know, things are changing as it relates to religious life for women religious in the U.S. I love LCWR. I've always, you know, I loved it when I was a little nun. I loved it in leadership. I loved it being part of it. It's just been a gift. And it's a gift to religious life in North America, but also to the entire church. I learned during the investigation that the church order of LCWR, how meaningful it is to institutes around the world. The letters of support and the accompaniment that the conference felt from conferences around the world and made us learn what LCWR means not just to our North American church, but to the church at large. First of all, because it's a slightly different conference. So it is a canonically instituted conference, but it is one of three conferences in the United States. It is the only country in the world where religious life is organized into three conferences. Everywhere else, there's one conference. The Conference of Religious of Australia, the Conference of Religious of Mexico, the Conference of Religious of Chile. But here we have a women's leadership conference. Even the name that they've kept and claimed for themselves, I think it's absolutely telling. Because it's true. We are leaders in the church. We have been for centuries. And so to honor that call, I think is critical. I think today... LCWR and religious institutes, not just the ones that belong to LCWR or not just the ones in North America, are learning that we are going through a profound transformation. We've experienced a time of religious life that was kind of an institutionalization of religious life. We built hospitals and schools and we went to mission in many different countries. And now we're experiencing a transformation that will create other possibilities for ministry. I, that's why I think the future is about networking. It's not about self-sufficiency. And it's not something that only religious life is learning. It's something that we should all be learning across you know, political boundaries, across international boundaries. We cannot do this alone. Nobody can, nobody should. And in a way, I think that is our call. 
is our call to network, to relationships, to accompaniment, a call to, in a way, live in a world that requires that kind of boundary crossing. I trust the call, and LCWR has a call that it renews every five years. It was a call that was uh, discerned for 2015 to 2022 that was absolutely beautiful. I look forward to what the conference will discern for the next five years this year, but I'm fairly sure that the synodal journey, the transformation of church and society, the faithfulness as ecclesial women will remain to the core of, of what it does. So I think, in summary, religious life today is called to trust in the future, to trust that God is calling us from that future um, to be a different kind of church, to be a church that's more inclusive, a church that partners, a church that builds up human dignity wherever it is, and at the same time, a church that is deeply in love with Jesus's message and Jesus as Christ and is that face to our world. Absolutely beautiful, Sister Terry. Get to this. At our 2022 summit, you spoke on our panel about the vital role of women's leadership. And you spoke with such conviction about the need for the church's care and concern for women in today's world. You're such an inspiring and influential leader on these issues. Can you first speak a little about how your own personal life of faith informs your leadership style. I imagine we often make the assumption that as a religious sister, this seems obvious, but I imagine that you, like the rest of us, have to make conscious choices about your leadership. Faith is why I accepted leadership, but it is also why I stay in leadership. In, in other words, I think leadership is a ministry. It's a call, and it is very difficult to do if you lack the strong why. Why, you know, why are we doing this? Why am I getting up in the morning to face whatever new challenges are? Because normally they're not what is in my to-do list. Why do I stay in leadership? And so in order to sustain yourself in leadership, you absolutely need a spiritual a discernment component, and also accompaniment. I think in that sense, there's no faith without community. I needed my sisters. I needed their presence, their prayer, their encouragement, their love to kind of sustain that leadership role. So that realization that you're not alone, that you're not doing it for yourself, that you're doing it as as basically you're taking your turn in community leadership. It will be someone else's turn, like it is right now in my community. Someone else is responsible for the Sisters of Charity of the Incarnate Word. And I sustain them with prayer because I know it's it's not easy. And every once in a while, a, a box of chocolates. But, but it's important that we remember why that we go into a meeting, you know, why am I doing this? You know, <laughs> so I think spirituality is a critical component, discernment. Um, Catholic healthcare has come up with a process that they call values-based decision-making. And I also find that 
making decisions. And some of them are about resources and good administration and HR. You know, we, we deal with property and taxes and lawyers. And so in many different ways, you are always making decisions that are not perfect. But you have to be making them with a focus of your values and your principles. And when you do that, something shifts because your intentions show. And, and so you can, in many different ways, then integrate, you know, the resource and the, and the administrative and the mission component and the people component of a decision and you, and you, and you bring it all together. So I think faith uh, is critical for so many things. It's, it's what inspires you. It's what keeps you there. It's mm -hmm. what encourages you to welcome sometimes advice and, and sometimes criticism. And then to say, you know, kind of in all humility, it's first of all, not something you do. It's because God gave you some gifts that need to be put in the service of others. And secondly, it's, it's not about you. It's about something greater than you. It's always about community. You, this point you're making about knowing your why of leadership, the importance of the community surrounding a leader, the deep faith that supports leadership, and the discernment that's essential to good leadership might point to why many of the women breaking barriers in leadership in the church are women religious. Uh, they are stepping first into roles that have never been held by women, such as Sister Natalie Beckhart. Could you speak to the impact of this for both women religious, for women in general, and really for our entire church? Well, I think the first step we need to take is to recognize that women have been leaders in our church for centuries. It's not something that just started. It's a history that we know very little about and have highlighted poorly, probably because, you know, more women need to write history. But when I look at the history of religious life, there's been leadership. Oh, my God. In the Middle Ages, amazing people, of course, you know, the colonial period in Latin America, there were nuns that were leaders in so many different ways. I think of the United States, the healthcare systems, the university systems, the Catholic school system, all of it had women leaders. In fact, I, I don't think we would be the church we are today without all that leadership. A shout out to Carolyn Wu, who wrote this book with this reflection uh, about it, because it's been there all along. Now, I think the critical transition today is that, yes, obviously, organically, it would be logical for some of the leadership that is emerging in our church today to come from women religious, but it shouldn't stop there. I think women religious will be invited, have been invited, and I've always loved the ones that leave a foot at the door and then let other people in. The incredibly qualified lay people, men and women, women religious are lay people, who love the church, who are passionate about it, who want to do something about it. So I think if so many of the new lay leaders today were mentored by women religious, were encouraged, or at the very least, it was a woman religious that heard their frustration when, you know, pastor so-and-so wasn't listening to me. So I think that as women religious retire from leadership roles, which we're going to see faster, it's going to accelerate in the next few years, 
they absolutely need to continue serving as mentors, as wisdom figures, as advocates, as supporters of, of the new leadership that is emerging. Most of it, laymen and women. I couldn't agree more. I, Sister Terry, you've been a very strong advocate of Encuentro and the work to develop Hispanic and Latino Catholic leaders. Can you describe Quinto Encuentro for our listeners and comment especially on how it has been a gift to the church and why it is crucial for all of us to invest in Hispanic and Latino leaders? The Encuentro process has been part of the church in the United States for 50 years now. The very first Encuentro happened in 1972. And it was inspired in the Latin American process of pastoral de conjunto, or a pastoral of the whole, a, a kind of a pastoral ministry when everyone, everyone is called and included. And it's this idea that you gather at the local level, you gather at the diocesan level, and eventually at the national level to, to know where and the church is, is moving and to move together as, as, a, as a family, as a community. So I think this gathering of the whole into the whole is an absolute gift. In other words, the U.S. church learned synodality through that Encuentro process. That's our school. I think Encuentro is a way of being church. It's a spiritual process. And in fact, I think you need an Encuentro culture in order to begin a synodal journey. First, you need to come together to be a people before you start moving. Otherwise, it loses that faith component, that pilgrimage component. So the gathering, the coming together, the building of bridges. I think the Encuentro process is absolutely about missionary discipleship. Now, I like it in Spanish better because in Spanish you say discípulos misioneros. So first you're a disciple before you become a missionary. Um, in English, we say missionary disciples, and we might forget that it's important to have a personal relationship with Christ and to have that call to follow Christ before you go out there to do all this missionary work. But Encuentro is a transformation as community. As, as friends of Jesus, in other words. It denounces exclusion um, because everyone needs to be welcome. It's like my abuela's table. Everyone was welcome. The crazy uncle that we all have, the, you know, the family member that maybe did something that wasn't great. Everybody was welcome. Mm. And, and in other words, Encuentro is about proclaiming the importance of relationship, of community, an encuentro is a transformation. Every time you encounter another person in love, Pope Francis says, you learn something new about God. And so I think the encuentro culture is at the heart of Pope Francis's papacy. It's, it's the beginning of this synodal journey, in other words. We'll get right back to our conversation after this inspiring message about our sponsor of this episode of the Catholic Leaders Podcast. Our sponsor for this episode is Christus Health. 
Christus Health is a Catholic not-for-profit health system made up of 600 centers, including long-term care, community hospitals, walk-in clinics, and health ministries, and is based in Texas. Christus Health is a community of more than 45,000 employees, including 15,000 physicians. They are sponsoring today's episode in honor of our esteemed guest, Sister Terry Maya, and had this to say, Christus Health is proud to honor Sister Terry Maya. Her leadership shaped our ministry for the present and future, and our ministry will forever carry her handprints. A heartfelt thank you to Christus Health and to Sister Terry. And now back to our conversation with Sister Terry. Sister Terry, you've already shared so much about your journey, about your passions and hopes uh, for our faith and for the church. What else is on your heart and what else are you listening to as we journey with the Holy Spirit for the church today? And how as leaders can we support it? Well, you know, I, I had the opportunity to be in Mexico during International Women's Day and to experience the marches and to listen to the claims, especially of young women. One of the things that impacted me in one of the places where we were, we, we followed a march. And as part of the song, the women jump. And the sister I was with said, you know, we're really old because we can't do that anymore. <laughs> but what we noted is how young these women were. And I think we need to be where the women are. And it's very difficult to us because some of their claims are counter to the teachings of our church. Hmm. So I think we need to sustain that tension and still be there and still witness and dialogue and listen deeply into their concerns and their questions and their claims and their anger. I think there is a lot of anger, a lot of sadness in the women because of things our church has not done for them, with them, and in support of them. We have failed a lot of women around the world, and it's okay so long as we begin a different journey of accompaniment. So I really think there's a call there. The synodal document for the continental face highlights that every single place around the world is saying something about women. So what are we going to do? It's time to stop talking about it and do something. It's time to really embrace our tradition in the works of mercy to really be fierce about protecting women. There should be no violence against women. Forget the other theological debates that can divide us, but we should all agree that we need to protect them, that they should feel safe at home, that they should not be discriminated in the workplace. Our ministries, our diocesan offices should be places where they get equal pay for equal work, where they get treated with dignity as as people as human beings. So we need to model what is being called for in the synodal process. And I don't think it's easy. There's a lot of policy that needs to be developed and not just policy, a culture. So I, I do think that today we have an opportunity. 
I think that we need to listen. I also think we need to be humble about the things we haven't done or we have been quiet about. But we have a call to really do as Jesus did. This last weekend, uh, we heard the story of the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And so there it is, that encounter at the well. We have to create the well spaces for our church to encounter women. And, and we have to model these encounters in the same way that Jesus did. What a deeply moving conversation this has been. I would, I would even say a prophetic conversation. We have one final question for you today that we ask each of our guests. What is one action that if we all committed to doing it tomorrow would help build a stronger, more vibrant church? I think we need to ask questions. We need to be unafraid of the difficult questions and we also need to be okay with not having answers. So to, to start asking the right questions, the questions that might be uncomfortable or difficult, to ask the questions with compassion, to ask the questions from a place of love of our church, but to stay in the questions as long as we need to. Thank you for challenging us with that and the humility and openness that's required to stay in the question. Sister Terry, we are committed at Leadership Roundtable in this coming year to become a bilingual organization in all of our materials. And so this last question that you just answered was so profound. Could you also share your response in Spanish for all of our listeners? Si tuviéramos que hacer una sola cosa para de alguna forma iniciar este proceso de transformación en nuestra iglesia. Yo creo que tenemos que aprender a hacer preguntas. Preguntas difíciles, preguntas que a veces no tienen respuestas inmediatas. Y tenemos que aprender a sostener la pregunta, a quedarnos ahí sin responder tan rápido, reflexionando un poco. Pero también tenemos que hacer preguntas desde nuestro amor a la iglesia, desde nuestra compasión por la iglesia. Preguntas que ayuden a ir construyendo esa transformación a la que nos está llamando Dios para el futuro. Tenemos que hacer nuevas preguntas, preguntas difíciles, y tenemos que hacerlas juntos y juntas. Thank you so much. Listeners can't see us, but if they could, they would have seen the multiple times today that there were tears in my eyes as I was listening to you share so profoundly about your faith, about our church, about the people in our church that you obviously care about so deeply. And I am immensely grateful to you for your leadership, for your saying yes to being on our board at Leadership Roundtable and your contribution to our mission. Thank you for being with us here today and for your friendship, Sister Terry. And thank you for your leadership and for what you do. Hang in there. We need you. The church needs you, not just in the United States. Thank you so much.
It is always a joy to host the Catholic Leaders Podcast. A special thank you to our terrific colleagues who make this podcast possible, to our eloquent and inspiring guests, and to you, our deeply appreciated listeners. We're especially grateful for the production support of Jenna McAndrew and Kate Alexander, original theme music by Rachel Taylor, and as always, the generous sponsors of Leadership Roundtable. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.